0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com.
2: I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food, a forum for helpful conversation about issues in K-12 food service and solutions that work. I'm your host, Laura Stanley. Today's episode is the first in a two-part series about salad bars, with the second to follow two weeks from today on June 23rd. We're devoting two episodes to salad bars in our first season because they've become so popular in schools with ever more funding and technical support available to districts that want to start salad bar programs or grow the ones that they have. Uh, We'll be talking more about financing and tools for getting started on the 23rd Um, but today we're going to whet your appetite for fresh and crunchy with the story of the exceptionally successful salad bar program at the Riverside Unified School District. Uh, Riverside is in California roughly 60 miles southeast of Los Angeles. So, if you're a school salad bar skeptic, no doubt you have good reasons. Um, I've spoken to committed K through 12 food service directors, by which I mean people who are committed to serving abundant fresh fruits and vegetables, um, and, and who have tried and abandoned salad bars due to poor participation, waste, expense, mess, or concerns over food safety. Um, others are relu- understandably reluctant to even try. Uh, under the new meal pattern, salad bars and schools are seemingly even more complicated to pull off. How do you ensure that kids are meeting their daily fruit and vegetable quotas and the required weekly balance of green and orange veggies and beans and peas if you let them serve themselves? So for answers, we will start today with the nation's leading school salad bar evangelist. Uh, This man is famous. When I Googled his name, it's Rodney Taylor with a Y along with the word salad bar. I got 1,650 hits. Uh, Rodney is Director of Nutrition Services for Riverside, where he has developed a wildly popular Farmer's Market Salad Bar program. He's received many awards for his work, including the California Endowment's Health Hero Award and the uh, NAACP Education Award. He serves on the California uh, State Board of Food and Agriculture and as ambassador for the California Healthy Kids Resource Center. Um, I should also add that Rodney is a talented businessman. His salad bars are actually profitable, which is something I I hope we'll get to talk about today. Uh, In the second half of the show, we'll check in with two folks from Rodney's staff, Executive Chef Ryan Douglas and Field Operations Supervisor Priscilla Friend. So, hi, Rodney.
3: Good morning. How are you?
2: I'm all right. Um, Okay, so we need to start out by getting something out of the way. Uh, You used to be a salad bar skeptic yourself, right?
3: Absolutely. Uh, when I was first asked about um, a salad bar, I thought it wouldn't work, and um, we did a uh, pilot for two weeks with child care and I knew it would fail and the gentleman that asked me about it would go away and I could get back to my, my life but uh, I walked in saw the model that he had in mind and um, my life changed at that point.
2: Right, and this was in Santa Monica before you uh, came to Riverside, right?
3: That's correct right. yes, that was back in 1997
2: Right, right, so you, you walked in and you saw the kids chowing down on vegetables, I mean what, what did that look like?
3: um the, the important thing was we bought from local farmers, uh, so we were receiving the product at the peak of its growing season. Uh, it was very colorful. It was user-friendly. Everything was cut up. The grapes was pulled off stems. And uh, kids served themselves with help from adults. And it just had so much. It appealed to all the senses.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, the Santa Monica story, is is really moving, especially the part about how the community pitched in to make things work and how, how you uh, rallied them. So for, for listeners who want to learn more about that, I, I have posted an account from the Center for Literacy on um, the Inside School Food Facebook page But today I want to spend um, more of our time on Riverside because it's a more challenging environment than Santa Monica right it's bigger with more high needs kids and fewer kids accustomed to eating fresh produce at home when did you start in Riverside Rodney
3: I went to Riverside in 2000 I came to Riverside in 2002 and I've got to give you a quick history on what I walked into Uh, the food service fund was $3.1 million in the hole. They had built a central kitchen that opened in 1998 when a million and a half over budget and uh, they couldn't make the lease payments and everyone wanted to know what was I going to do and I said I'm going to put solid bars in and uh, they laughed and uh, I sit here today and we have solid bars in 30 of the 31 elementary schools we've paid the 3.1 million dollar debt and we began this school year with a 5.1 million dollar reserve.
2: So you you've really cut to the chase here. You've you managed to get the district out of debt and you're turning a profit using yeah. salad bars. Like what's the secret?
3: The secret is changing perceptions about what school food service is. When I came to Riverside, we were feeding 47% of the kids. That's 53% or over 20,000 students weren't eating with us every day. What that tells me is uh, there's probably something wrong with the food service and any number of things. Um, And so I uh, went about implementing the solid bar, recognizing that I had to win the trust of parents, Uh, we would conduct ourselves as a nutrition program. The salad bar was more than just offering fresh fruits and vegetables. It was taking kids to the farm, bringing farmers in the classroom, having the chef and my nutritionist in the classroom. So I would tell you, I'm going to take your little five-year-old and I'm going to teach them to be a lifelong healthy eater so that when they become adults, they'll make healthy choices. And I've always believed if you take care of your body when it's young, it'll take care of you when you're older.
2: Right. but In in Riverside, you are dealing with a um, population of kids, at least at the beginning, who were not um, being exposed to a lot of fresh produce at home.
3: That's correct. Uh, Forty-seven percent of our children at that time were from at-risk families, and uh, being from an at-risk family myself and knowing hunger far more intimately than I care to discuss, I knew that I had children that didn't have fruit bowls on their table, didn't have um, supermarkets in their neighborhoods, and uh, I wanted to ensure that they had access to fresh fruits and vegetables on a daily basis and that we taught them how to eat properly. Riverside is three times the size of Santa Monica. Santa Monica was 15,000 students, I have 43,000 students here, and now 68% of those children come from at-risk family. So it's really uh, an awesome responsibility to ensure that these kids are consuming the proper amount of fruits and vegetables and that we're combating hunger at the same time as we're addressing the obesity crisis.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what percent of the meals are now coming off the salad bar in your elementary schools?
3: Uh one hundred percent now we have what we call uh S B one or salad bar first, meaning every kid goes through the salad bar first where they at that point are engaged by an adult on each side who are asked to engage and encourage children to eat the colors so we want the plate colorful and we have a display plate for children to see uh... what an ideal plate looks like we encourage them And um, we are being very successful in getting them to not only take fresh fruits and vegetables, but to consume them. And the salad bar works much like a a buffet in that all of the kids are building the colors for their salad, and then the entree is the last thing they receive. And the focus is not on the entree. We've really changed the way kids see the center of the plate, and it's more the fresh fruits, and vegetables. And by the way, when they get to the end of the line and they built that colorful plate, they get a sticker that says, I've got a rainbow in my tummy. Awesome. And, and and the kids think that's pretty cool. Yes. And that's how we encourage them and engage them to uh, eat healthy.
2: Right, right. And, and then... Um the, the center of the plate item, which is now you're saying not necessarily quite the center of the plate, that, that's at the end of the line. Um, I know that you're using some of your commodity dollars to fill the meal out um, at the end there and to help um, make ends meet. Can you talk about how that works?
3: Oh, yes. Um, let me give you one item we worked on. We wanted to reduce the amount of processed food that we were serving kids, and we really wanted to target the most popular items, which was chicken nuggets, chicken patties, and chicken strip. So we found that uh, USDA Foods... Uh, offered a broiled chicken now it's a pre cooked chicken that's minimally processed, and we gave that to the chef and asked him to come up with five platforms uh that we could use so he developed rubs and um so we have barbecue chicken rotisserie chicken uh ranch chicken, lemon lime, and uh I forget the fifth one off hand I'm sorry I'll uh, ask later. but <laughs> Um, we then replaced chicken. We took chicken nuggets, chicken patties, and chicken strips off the menu. We offered the five items, rotating them, and the kids never even notice. But here's the genius in all of that. We got them to stop eating highly processed food, which we don't feel is good for the kids, to minimally process and we reduced the the, uh, plate cost by 37 cents. That allows us to spend more money on more healthful foods and change uh, school food service in our district.
2: Right, right. I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in the details of of how you crunch the numbers. So so there's the commodity piece. Um, You said you're reducing by 37%. And then your produce purchasing, how do you control costs with that?
3: We we buy directly from local farmers, and we're constantly negotiating pricing, and we're getting good pricing. Uh, I'll give you an example. If we need uh, strawberries for a meal to put on the salad bar, we need 400 flats we can assure a small farmer we can buy everything that he grows. Uh, With that knowledge, we can negotiate a price uh, based on the volume that we're going to sell him that would be below uh, market price, which makes us competitive. So for those that argue that uh, buying fresh fruits and vegetables from local farmers are more expensive, that's not necessarily true. It may begin that way, but in time, if you have the type of volume we do, uh, we can reduce our cost by a penny or two. And that makes all the difference in the world when you're serving over 6 million meals a year.
2: Right. So part of your secret is, is volume. And, and then part of your secret is that you have Priscilla Friend, who we're going to speak to later um, in this segment, um, who is devoted to, uh, you know, maintaining those relationships with the farmers.
3: That's correct.
2: Right, right. Um, so to return to our salad bar skeptics, because um, as I said earlier in the show, I I, I have spoken at length with, with folks who have real concerns about, um, let's start with the food safety piece, because I think that's the one that looms the largest. And I, I know that you teach at USDA's Produce University, so you're kind of an expert on that. Can you, can you tell us about food safety and salad bars?
3: Yes. Uh, USDA not only... Um, um agrees that solid bars can be offered in a safe manner um if you go on their website, you'll see that they promote it as does the first lady and uh many many dietitians uh support. Uh, the idea of self-serve salad bars and that they can be offered in a safe way. We teach our children uh, salad bar etiquette. Uh, we use all of the HACCP principles, which is the hazardous analysis, critical critical control point, which we use throughout our operations. So we're ensuring uh, fresh fruits and vegetables are handled in the same way any other product that comes to our back dock. We're going to ensure that it's uh, been refrigerated, that the temperature is proper. We're going to inspect it properly. We're going to store it properly. We're going to handle it uh, properly and then ensure that it is received at the screws at the proper temperature and offered in a proper manner uh and then before any child goes through the salad bar, we have conducted assemblies at the school that teaches children to, how to handle uh, salad bar utensils, how to sneeze away from the salad bar in their armpit, how when something drops to leave it, we pick that up. Um, I have served over 6 million salad bar meals in Riverside. For those that tell you that it places children at risk, I would say I haven't lost a child Yet, mm-hmm. um, those obstacles exist in the mind of adults. They're not real op- obstacles, and I like to say, if you want to do something, you'll find a way, and if you don't, you'll find an excuse.
2: Right, right. Well, and this this notion of the the assembly is is pretty fabulous. Um, you, you train everybody together, and the, having the kids all in one room learning about this is they can reinforce one another about it. And I understand also that in your county, your uh, staff um, is trained at a level that is not the norm across the country. Is that right? That's that's correct. Um,
3: Not only do all of our employees have our food handlers, have their certificate for food handling, many of our employees, because we teach, we have a, a dietitian on staff who teaches the Safe SafeServe um, class. Uh, we do not charge employees. We encourage all of them to be uh, certified, uh, and because of that, we have a very, very high number of our 358 employees who are certified beyond any minimum standards and um, That's important um, because we've never shot for standards, whatever the USDA standards are. We've always asked ourselves, how do we create a better dining experience for our children? How do we educate our employees so that they can grow in their own profession, but more importantly, that we are... um, Handling food in a way that we never endanger the forty-three thousand children that we're responsible for.
2: Right, right. So uh, another thing that comes up in conversations with salad bar skeptics is managing the mess. Um, tell us how you, t- you know, contain mess in your salad bars.
3: Um, we, as again, uh, we teach the children um how to use the salad bar and it's interesting because most people think it's the kindergartners and first graders that would have problems those kids are very impressionable up to third grade and fourth it's the fifth and sixth graders that you really have to work with and yet they respond very well you know we like to say we serve them love Um, These are our children. We know how to communicate with them. We're always engaging with them. We're teaching them the importance not only of not wasting food, um, but always being very safe. Uh, in every way so we're right there uh, not only monitoring and engaging kids but we're keeping the salad bar clean and sanitary and that's very possible
2: right you mentioned waste Um, how do you uh, reinforce the you know the anti-waste message with kids because a lot of children when they see the beautiful salad bar you know their eyes are bigger than their stomachs. so so (laughs) how do you deal with that
3: Uh, we teach them and the teachers reinforce it in the classroom it's a part of our etiquette that we teach in the assemblies that they come to but we also give the teachers uh the etiquette in writing and they go over it with the children and uh what we found is not only do we control the waste uh, but we 've reduced our food costs, which allows us to absorb the additional cost for labor and produce. so most folks will say well it 's more expensive well. that's not necessarily true because we're buying from farmers fruit that's not uh, uniform and nice and wax like in the store. We're getting the fruit that may be smaller that wouldn't sell in a market. And so we're getting a a competitive price. Uh, We're teaching our children not to waste. And overall, what we've seen is our food costs drop. And that has helped us to, with the investment that we had to make on solid bars and for the the additional labor okay. um, while our kids have been getting healthy um, we had seven straight years where we increased our revenue at a million dollars a year, so for those who say kids won 't eat healthy and if they do it 's too costly to the program, they only need to come and look at my finances and uh, it will prove them wrong
2: right right and then, and now that we 've you, you know we 've got these strict um, rules around um, the, the portions of veggies kids are supposed to take and the balance of different colors. Uh, How do you manage that at the point of service?
3: Uh, And that's why the adults are there engaging, and we had taught our kids even before. Again, we weren't shooting for minimum standards. We have always been encouraging our kids to eat the color and to consume more. And so when the new regulations from the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act came along, we like to think that those regulations were patterned a little after what we were doing. We had had visitors from USDA come and study our program uh, under secretary, Kevin Kincannon had been here for our five-year anniversary. They were well aware of the work that we were doing, and we've never shot for minimum standards. So when it comes to serving dark leafy greens or orange vegetables or legumes or introducing new items, we had been doing that long before the regulations came in. So it's a non-issue for us.
2: Yeah. Yeah, fabulous. Well, Rodney Taylor, as ever, it's been so inspirational speaking with you, and I hope, hopefully, empowering for our listeners. Um, I, I'd love to let you keep talking, but we have two fabulous members of your team who are eager to share their piece of the Riverside stories. So, great,
4: great. Yep.
2: Thank you so much for joining us on Inside Scoop. Thank Food. you. And next up, we have Priscilla Friend and Chef Ryan Douglas. So stay with us.
1: This program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com.
2: You're listening to Inside School Foods, first salad bar episode to be followed by a second one two weeks from today on June 23rd. We're starting, appropriately enough, with one of the most celebrated salad bar programs in the nation at Riverside Unified School District in Central Southern California. I have on the line two people whose work has been critical to the success of the program, Executive Chef Ryan Douglas and Field Operations Supervisor Priscilla Friend. Ryan began his career in institutional food service um, with the Air Force more than 29 years ago. He he told me that the Air Force trains many, many chefs, um, which was news to me. Pretty exciting. Um, he recently received commendation from First Lady Michelle Obama for his progressive work in school food. Priscilla has the job at Riverside that I think I would want. Uh, she oversees the Farmer's Market Salad Bar Program, including staff training, and works directly with local farmers on produce procurement. Uh, she's been working with Rodney on growing the salad bar program at Riverside since the beginning. Um, so, Ryan, I understand that you were hired in response to something of a revolt among the older students, so, so middle school and up. They, they wouldn't eat school lunch because there was no salad bar? <laughs>
3: Well, uh,
5: when I came on board, uh there was an outcry from the parents uh, you know, as the children trans or are moved into middle and high school, you know, we were getting inundated by a bunch of calls from parents and things like that. How come my kids don't have solid bar in middle schools? What's going on? So what we've done is Rodney came to me and said, Okay, hey Ryan, we need to we need to address this issue because The success of our salad bar is now carrying over into the middle and high schools, and we have to give the children uh, something also. So we came up with a line called Fresh Express, and uh, we do uh, signature sandwiches and salads made fresh daily uh, for the children in the middle and high schools. That was our response to uh, the outcry or the uh, calls we got from parents about the salad bar.
2: Right, right. And, and why did you choose to do this? Like, why couldn't the district just reproduce the salad bar experience that the kids were used to from elementary school?
5: Well, a lot of those issues... Uh, are taken care of by our director, uh, Mr. Taylor, but I believe that, you know, as a business, we have to take a look at staffing, being able to restock the increased or high volume numbers once they move into the middle and high schools, and also portion control. So a lot of those different factors, you know, uh, here in Riverside, we conduct our, uh, everything we do as a business. So as a business standpoint, I think a lot of the different issues uh, may have affected uh, the reason why we uh, didn't have or implement uh, salad bars in the middle and high high schools.
2: Right, right. So you have this model called Fresh Express. And Mm -hmm. what what does it look like at the point of purchase?
5: Well, what we want to do is, as you well know, a lot of people or everybody kind of like eats with their eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to be able to say, we want the wow factor. Wow, this looks great. And we do an extreme amount of marketing. And uh, I do a lot of culinary training about presentation and how the product should look. So at the point of sale, you know, when the children are going through the line, we want to create, as Mr. Taylor has always told us, uh, his concept or his premise in producing uh, the food that we do, a dining experience. We want to be able to give them a dining experience. So when they see what we offer them, it it, it looks good, it tastes good. Uh, we want that wow factor. That's what draws those ch- draw the children into the product.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of your most popular items?
5: Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Some of our most popular items is our fruit parfait. Mm -hmm. Uh, We uh, have a uh, couple of sandwiches that are really, really good, our beef torta. We also have a roasted turkey uh, with a cranberry barbecue dip. Now, the, the good thing about all these products is that we're using USDA Foods proteins, and that actually drops. The plate cost, mm-hmm. so we're able to offer higher-end items with this, like ciabatta breads, focaccia breads, different types of uh, salad dressings that are a little bit more upscale than what you when you normally see a, a uh, you know at school sometimes you see the little PC ranch, twelve, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. real small. We're able to upgrade, give them a more designer look. And we we do serious tasting and testing with the product,
2: right, right. That was something I was going to ask you about. We, we hear about that a lot in in programs that are successful to to kind of push the kids' envelopes you you taste test in advance to get their buy in right
5: right that That is a critical component mm-hmm. in what we develop. any platform that we do come up with uh, it starts with a team effort. We have our staff meetings and uh, you know, I'll come up with a concept or they'll come up with a concept and we, we, we'll go back and forth. We do a lot of testing and tasting. The critical component to this, the most important thing, is taking it to your clients. You can't develop something and assume, okay, the kids are just going to love this. Well, <laughs> you, you really don't know. Right. So right. When, you, when you take it to your clients, and the, the, the children are our clients, we set it up like a gourmet catering. i got skirting, tables, uh, vases, everything for uh, a, a catering. And what we do is we have survey cards. And as the children are coming through and they're excited, we build excitement. We, we're engaging the kids. Hey, you guys, come on. We're, we're doing all of that. And we get their buy-in because, you know, kids are real honest. They'll mm-hmm. tell you, oh, I don't like this. This is horrible. This is nasty. Or they'll tell you, this is great. When can we get this? So once we get these uh, survey cards, uh, we compile this information, and then we, we find out which items they like the best, and then we implement or put that new platform in the next cycle of menus and things that we do.
2: Right, right. What, what I'm hearing about the, the kind of, level of respect you have for the kids and calling them clients and, and, you know, not writing them off as, oh, you know, they're teenagers, they only want to eat fast food. It's, it's very moving. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a great, um, I don't know, it's just instructive uh, for, for folks it, who think differently about it,
5: teenagers. It's the mindset that we have here. Mm-hmm. It yeah. starts from the top. When right. you have great leadership, they have the vision. We carry out the vision. But there's there's a level of service that we want to be able to provide. Once they see that you care, once they see that, wow, we're just not getting crap or we don't like this or that, once they see and we engage them, it will immediately turn around what it is you're doing.
2: Right, right. And, and that brings me to Priscilla. Um, I, you know, you, the, the part, part of what you're doing in, in showing that respect and delivering that level of quality is engaging with your local farmers to bring in super fresh um, produce. So Priscilla, how, how many farms do you work with?
4: Um, currently right now I have about 10 farmers, local farmers in our area that I deal with.
2: And then how far in advance do you work with them? I mean, are they actually growing to order for you, or is it more like they call you and tell you what they've got, or is it a little bit of both?
4: It's a little bit of both. Um, I do have um, about three farmers that um, constantly, you know, we're talking and letting me know, you know, they want to know my needs are what are the most popular, how much do I expect to use, especially lettuce and spinach, um, and we don't offer iceberg, we offer the green um, nutritious lettuce, the red leaf, the romaine, the mini romaine, um, uh, mangeta lettuce, it's just so colorful and uh, dark green spinach, um, so basically you know, as we start off, you know, we'll buy from them as they see how much produce i'm using then they want to know okay i can you know i can grow this for you uh, but i just need time and you know to prepare for it and mm-hmm. i understand you know let's um let's move forward and uh keep this produce coming right right because <laughs> we're going to use it
2: <laughs> but if, if they suddenly find they have surplus um do you have flexibilities to to take take it in and adapt your menus to to use it
4: well at the t- if they have surplus at the time, you know, we're talking fresh produce here. Um I can try to slip it in if if it's within, you know, the my need that I could use it in with a timely manner, I will take it on. And this has happened, you know, especially with the melons that are coming on. Um, the cantaloupes and the honeydews, you know, they, they have an abundance of this coming through, and I get calls and say, hey, you know, I have about uh, 20 crates. Do you think you can move them? I can get them to you within, you know, a matter of days. Then we we'll, based on whatever we're offering in the menu, if I could use them, I'll get them in. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, whatever is available at that time.
2: Yeah. So Rodney mentioned um, farm visits for kids and farmer visits to classrooms. So it sounds like students are aware that this food is local and and who's growing it for them
4: yes that is true we have farmer visits in classroom and they'll bring um, you know w- what they harvest in class and h- what it starts off as and um, they let them sample it they'll give them you know let them uh, you know t- you know, prepare it and serve it um, and also, farm visits, they go and uh, see how, you know, the acres, how many acres they have, and what exactly they're growing. It's just neat. The kids love it. Sometimes they get their hands in the dirt and, um, you know, let them actually get a a good hands-on experience.
2: Right, right. And it really personalizes it for them. So that's just so cool. Um, And then, you know, lastly, Priscilla, um, you know, you're bringing in a lot of produce. And, you know, we talked about how um, well-trained staff is to handle it. Are are they doing all of the, you know, chopping, cutting, shredding on site? Or do you use a fresh-cut processor also?
4: We have um all we have twenty nine elementary schools with the farmers' market cell bars um in them, and they prepare um pretty much most of the produce that's on that every day as it gets it's served gets delivered that day, and it's served that day. We chop our own lettuce we wedge our own apples and oranges, and when we offer the grapes, we divine you know take them off the vines um before they're they they do not have to you know they're not in the clusters mm-hmm. um uh oranges we get all when they're all in season the valencias and the um blood oranges and uh, navels when they're all in season as well as all the different types of tangerines so everything that we get in on that bar is pretty much chopped and offered that day right Uh, Right. so and minimal i think we get the bunny carrots we do get those in on the in the five pound bags in the bulk Mm -hmm. but that's pretty much all that's you know like a process because it's just Uh, We don't have um, the appropriate chopper to do that many carrots that we need daily for the bar. Right,
2: right, right. You certainly have um, quite the bounty where you are, and I think listeners in the Northeast and the Upper Midwest are are just, like, wishing
4: I could get blood oranges. (laughs) Well, it's a labor of love, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I started it in 2005, and... Uh, Rodney took me out to uh, Compton and seeing their bar program out there. And he says, you know, what do you think? Do you think we can make this happen? And I said, we sure can. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, and here we are going on 10 years, and I'm still involved and keep growing this program as best that I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Rodney is a, you know, great Director, and he makes things happen, and he believes um, the best for the children, and we make it happen.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I need to get out there and have a salad with you guys yes please oh, do. <laughs> please do. so Priscilla and Ryan thank you so much for joining us today um, and listeners welcome. now that you've heard the show um, learn more from Riverside's own salad bar manual uh, they've, they've published a how-to and you can visit the Inside School Food um, Facebook page to get a link and you're also welcome to post your comments and questions and salad bar skeptics you are welcome to comment and question especially um, and for For more about techniques, tools, and financing, do not miss Salad Bars Part 2 on June 23rd with two guests from the Food Family Farming Foundation, founder and president chef Ann Cooper, and Mara Fleischman, the um, executive director. Uh, Next week, on June 16th, we we will be taking on what to do with all those uneaten broccoli spears, our first compost episode. You've been listening to Inside School Food. I am Laura Stanley, and thank you so much for listening.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio.